Thank you so much, Mary, and thank you, Element 3 Church. I'm so excited to be here. And some of you are saying, oh, this is the guy they hired? Oh, I don't know about this guy. No, I'm just kidding. I want to start out by saying a couple of quick things that normally I won't do in every single sermon, and that's that I normally love to preach from Scripture, and this sermon series that I start off with is going to be very different than what I'm normally accustomed to, which is just preaching from Scripture. We're looking from culture and understanding our mission and reimagining that mission as a church. But then secondly, just to mess with Lori a little bit, I'm deviating from the order of worship, okay? And this is my last Sunday now here at Elementary Church. I want to say thank you to all of the staff, and I want to highlight um, staff who are sitting here, and a lot of our part-time staff are all over this building right now, and so I say thanks to Melissa for all of your help. I see you back there. For Jackson, who I don't know where Jackson is, but thank you for him. For Mallory, uh, I know she does all the communication. Uh, I know for Jason, who is uh, at home right now, we're just praying for you and for you to be back next Sunday. Thank you, and I'm excited to get to work alongside you. For Maribel, who is watching my two little kids, who I referred to as hurricanes last week. They're now tornadoes. And then uh, Dan Bellamy, who's volunteering as our youth leader. and just so thankful for his passion for our youth and for the next generation. Uh, my wife would come up as well. I'm going to bring up Mike and Lori to the stage. There she is. Lori, you can't hide. you got to come up on stage here. Uh, these two full-time staff have been so integral, and I know we got a lot of amazing gifts and fanfare, but I want to give them the credit that they deserve for keeping everything together um, through this last season of Element 3 Church. So my amazing wife made some, some goodies for you guys just to say thank you. Yes. I'll give you a hug. We're, we're in a hug. We're in a hug zone. Perfect. <laughs> thank you to them and to everybody here. Uh, and thank you to the congregation. Thank you to all of you. You have been so overly generous that a couple of my kids, we've had to remind them, no, we don't get gifts every single day here. <laughs> Florida is not the every single gift day state, though it has been. You are amazingly generous, and we are so grateful for you and to Mike and to Lori and to all the part-time staff. I didn't have all the part-time staff on stage because I don't know where you all are sitting, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, online, please just type in, chat in your thanks to them and for all of the amazing staff here. And I want to say thank you to one other organization, and that is, as we transition now to the message, Google Maps. Anybody want to say amen, thank you, Google Maps? Yes. Now, on the chat, or if you're in here right now, just a show of hands, how many of you ever lost connection to your Google map and you are in, you're in this, this state of complete and absolute panic? Raise your hand. Yes. And now raise your hand if you never raise your hand to any question that's asked from a pastor to raise your hand. There they are. Okay. I'm watching you. I got you. Even when I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at you. This, this Google Maps is a remarkable thing. And coming from a person who I don't know where anything is in this wonderful city, I, I love Google Maps because it makes me look like I've, I've been here my whole life. What I've never had Google Maps tell me so many times is, make a U-turn up ahead. <laughs> Y'all have so many U-turns. But there's nothing worse than getting directions from a local. And, and Yeah. Some of you are guilty of this, right? You go down by the bypass. You go to the restaurant. It used to be McDonald's, and now it's a Cheddar Our Fingers. 
And once you see that, there will, the sign's behind a tree, but you'll see it once you get past it. In your rear view mirror, when you see that sign, then you turn right. And that's where I live. And I'm just like, just give me your address. I don't want to know all the things about where you think are important. Because when you get directions from a local, it becomes inherently ambiguous. And ambiguity is a hard thing to deal with. Things that aren't clear cause confusion. They cause people to do all sorts of things thinking they may be doing the right thing. I remember years ago, we were with some friends, and we went out ice skating with them. And I don't know if you all ice skate here, but in Nebraska, every other day is ice skating weather. And as we were ice skating, we left the place, and we didn't have Google Maps on, and we just kind of figured we knew where we were going, only to find out we had traveled 45 minutes the wrong direction. Turning around, the driver, not me, was a little bit upset because it was ambiguous which way to turn at that moment. It was pre-Google Maps. That was a, a phase in the history of humanity. But those who work in organizations know that ambiguous mission statements can be detrimental to the overall work that's to be done. If you worked in any sort of organization, if you have a a mission statement or a vision statement that's ambiguous, you can have people doing all sorts of things, thinking they're helping the bottom line, when in fact, they're not. Many of you have used the acronym SMART, which means strategic, measurable, attainable, relatable, and I don't know what T is because I hate... Okay, I didn't ask, okay? I love it, I love it, I love it. Those, those acronyms and these ideas of a SMART goal are ones that we want to employ, but I want to bring up and put up Element 3's vision statement, and just to read it out loud to you, and maybe you pass by this every single time, maybe this is the first time you've seen this on the screens, it's just right on the other side of that wall. As Element 3 will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples dwelling at the intersection of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture, that is not a SMART vision. It doesn't have any sort of measurables to it. In fact, is it even attainable as it stands? Some of us read this say, this sounds like, well, y'all go on the third right as we turn and then you go past the Chicken Donalds and then you go past, this, this is ambiguous. Our mission isn't all that much better. The mission of Element 3 Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we do that through what I call the three verbs. We do worship, we do groups, and we do service. And you're going to find that in the upcoming weeks, we're going to really focus on the ambiguity of what is worship. Because some of you look at worship, you say, it's back here, right? This is where worship happens. And it only happens for an hour of my life. You're going to be surprised that's not true. Some of you think groups are only happen on a Tuesday night from 6.30 to 7.30. That's not true. Some of you think service only happens on Saturday mornings from a certain time period to a certain time. That doesn't happen as well. These are ambiguous verbs, and the whole of it is strategically, I believe, ambiguous. So before delving into the mission of Element 3 Church and reimagining that, I want to talk about some mission myths, some mission myths. First one is this. The mission is the pastor's job and the church staff. Yes, it is. My mission is to make disciples, And it should be the mission of our entire staff. In fact, I've asked to be added to that to our weekly staff meetings to say, how are we achieving our mission as a staff? But you know what? It's supposed to be your missions online, your missions. I'm pointing at the camera. It's supposed to be your missions, okay? Even if you're not attending and you're at somebody else's place right now, it's the mission of all of us here to make disciples. Number two, Missions should change with the time and scope of the organization or based on successes. 
Anybody ever heard of this place called Starbucks? Yeah. They had so much success as a coffee franchise very early on. We're talking about 1990s era here. That they exploded into all sorts of places. And it was so cool to get a Starbucks in your town, right? It was, it was revolutionary. Oh my gosh, we have a Starbucks. We have to go. We have to try it. And Starbucks was so successful that they lost their overall roots of what their mission was. That was to make quality coffee with relationship. And we went from making great coffee to making kind of okay coffee in the early aughts. And so much so that the, the CEO of Starbucks shut every single place down and trained people how to make a good cup of coffee. Because they went from knowing exactly what every single person wanted and how much it costs, and they were already there with them in that relationship, to here's their coffee, please move down the counter. They lost who they were. In a healthy and successful church, the mission will never ever change. Element three church in the year 3000, mission will be to make disciples. Your vision can change subtly, but it should never have the mission, should never change. Now, some of us in here may believe that element three has done somehow a poor job of achieving its mission because of the measurables that we like to somehow latch our minds to. Friends, I'm a pastor And whenever you meet another pastor, and even if you ask about church in general, one of the greatest things you ask to somehow measure who you and how much success you have is, okay, you're a pastor, how big is your church, right? First question. It's kind of like when you meet somebody for the first time, you say, well, what's your job? And you say, well, I'm retired. And like, oh, well, then you have no value to me. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. But it's how we, how we have those kind of conversations. Your pastor, how big is your church? It doesn't matter if we have 10 people in here or 10,000. Our mission should be to do what? We have to understand that discipleship can even happen even if COVID gets really, really, really bad again. Discipleship should be happening even if COVID gets really, really bad again. Discipleship should happen if an alien invasion occurs in the city. Discipleship should happen Well, if an alien invasion happens, we got to talk about it a little bit, okay? But discipleship should happen in every single facet of our lives, and we'll get to that in a moment. It should not change based on either successes, failures, or any sort of outside variables that can happen. Our mission should be locked in on and not change. Third, myth. The vision and the mission should fit the key leader, which sounds great because I know I'm pretty cool. Why are you laughing? This section, this is the troublemakers. They laugh. I love you all. And I love you all too. Okay, so the the point of this is, is that you cannot have the mission fit a key leader. Because invariably, when that key leader either peters out or gets tired or has a failure of any sort of kind or of, of type, then the mission of the entire organization will crumble in on itself. I can't tell you the list of Christian leaders, well-known Christian leaders who have books under their name, who have all sorts of different, all sorts of different successes, who had one moral failing, and the entirety of their church has crumbled. Hear this. My commitment to Element 3 Church is to have amazing, spotless character. True trust can only be built on long-standing relationship. But that starts with a verbal commitment. Think of that I'm making a vow in our marriage ceremony right now. I'm going to have amazing character. 
But I will have times where I will fail, where I'll have hiccups, where I'll trip over my shoelace and fall down these stairs. It might be today. You get front row. Splash zone over here. What I want for you is to buy into this mission as a vow that you will make back and to the vision and the way in which we want to live our daily lives. The challenge is that we all bring in baggage into this relationship, right? Some of you have baggage from this church, but many of us have baggage from other churches. How many of you have attended a church before Element 3 Church? Raise your hand. How many of you still won't raise your hand if I ask a question from stage? There you are. Doesn't matter. He doesn't even care anyway. He's not even counting. This is the issue. We all have baggage we're bringing in. And that baggage can be painful. It can be great. It can be inspiring. It can be comparing from prior leaders, from any relationship. What I see is a potential, even with the combined baggage we bring in, that there's a potential if we buy into this mission statement, if we buy into the vision statement, to turn the page, to flip the script, to use whatever terminology you'd like to employ here. And I think part of that happens well tonight at the night of worship. I encourage all y'all to attend. But this only happens by reuniting the entire church around the mission of the church, and that is to make disciples. I see from staff, from leadership, and from the general congregation, I want to be transparent, have full communication, be an authentic person, and committed fully to the mission of Element 3. When we do this, there's no stopping us. And to be clear, we are not competing or working against any other church in the area. We all play for the same team. But Element 3, when we do this mission in Tallahassee and in the world, we will see our vision fulfilled and we hope other churches do exactly the same thing we're doing here. Friends, we have one of the greatest facilities, one of the greatest locations, I believe the greatest staff and the greatest congregation in the nation. It's time to show it off. I'm waiting for an amen from that. Let's take away some of the ambiguity in our mission then with that in mind, to make disciples. So our mission is to make disciples. I'm asking the who and what. What is discipleship and who are we missioning to? Because we should know the where. It's everywhere. And we should know the when. It's all the time. And that comes from a passage in Matthew 28. Jesus himself says, after he's resurrected, he says this. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded to you. Now, he doesn't give what discipleship is, but it kind of summarizes in the entirety of Matthew's gospel, that what he did to his 12 disciples and to the greater number of disciples is what we call discipleship. But none of us are Jesus, not even me. And that's the challenge here, is how do we take what Jesus did and authentically replicate that into a variety of people who may not believe like me? may not have the same backgrounds as me, may be vastly different than me in any sort of measurable way. So let's talk about the who in discipleship. Who do we disciple? Jesus shows this over and over and over through all four gospels, and Paul does it even greater in his letters to the various churches. But a disciple at his core is a person who models their life after their teacher. Teachers in the room, you have a group of disciples now, you disciple them in math and social studies and history and whatever else you teach, but you have disciples and you want them to learn as much as you've learned 
And then the hope is, is that they'll do what? They'll tell it to the next generation. Or they'll get smarter than you and realize you don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't happen. Jesus is our key teacher. And Jesus' statements are thankfully written down in words that we can read, we can understand, we can unpack. And I'm looking forward in a couple of weeks to really start doing that as a church. But to revolve around Christ means that none of us can be too far off. And the greatest enemy of ours, the person we feel like has no seat at the table of Jesus Christ, should be allowed into the communication, into the community. I thought I might want to put up a picture on the screens. And it's two different concepts. The first is the bonded set, and the second is the centered set. Now, the bonded set, sorry, the bond. I can read the bounded set. I even helped make this slide. Okay, the bounded set is what I mean to say. The bounded set is what traditional churches have done in the past. And many of us grew up in these churches. I myself, as little Scott, really cute, okay, he, he grew up in a bounded set church where if you're inside the walls of the church, you were saved. And if you're outside the walls of the church, you were unsaved. Yeah, you're lost. Yeah, we use different terminology across different denominations. And those inside the church walls were a part of this club, and we had different handshakes, and we had different ideas and passwords, and we had all sorts of different ways in which we said we're in the, in the know. But the centered set puts Jesus at the center. And if you look really carefully, see that white dot that appears to be the closest to Jesus? That white dot is still not Jesus, And the challenging part of this model is that you never get there. And as a person who loves to achieve, I'm saying, really? I never get to be 100%? I'm always 99.9999999% repeating? It drives me bonkers. But when we look at this model, the person the furthest away, that black dot, you can see it, and the arrows pointing away from Jesus, that person still has a relationship with Jesus. And that's a remarkable thing. That the person you think has no right to come into the grace of Jesus Christ still has a way in which they're part of the dynamic of finding that relationship and being a disciple of Jesus. So in your minds, who's a person? Because we all have that person. For me, it's a kid who bullied me when I was in elementary school. He has no right at the kingdom of God, the table. But at the same time, I would hate for him to spend eternity in the, in, the, in the flip side of that. Who is that person who has no right to come into contact with your Savior? Can you reorient your theology, your belief in God, your idea of discipleship, that they too have a right to be transformed? Can you be that person who pushes them in that relationship to understand that, we have to understand the what is discipleship. And I'll be very succinct. There's several books, great books are written on this. This is a very succinct and easy way of describing what discipleship is. And it comes from Paul. Over and over and over in almost every single one of his letters to the churches, he has this idea of undressing and dressing. Don't think we're going somewhere weird with this sermon, folks, okay? Pastor's clothes stay on the entire sermon. He has this idea, thank you for laughing, Some of you are like, what kind of church is this? There's this idea that Paul says to take off yourself and to put on Christ. 
I'll pick on this in the book of Ephesians, starting chapter 4, verse 22. Paul writes this. He says, that you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. This idea is best shown by little kids. Y'all ever have dress-up clothes where you try and be something you're not? My favorite dress-up clothes is I would take, as a little kid, I'd take sweatpants, I'd put on the sweatpants, and then I'd take on my whitey tidies, and you put those over the sweatpants, because that makes you Superman. <laughs> he wears his underwear on top of his pants. You ever notice that? And then you go get the biggest bath towel you can find, you tie it around your neck, but not too tight, because if you go around the corner and your little brother grabs it, that's not good. You tie it around your neck, and all of a sudden, you're Superman, okay? Now, there is a picture somewhere, probably in my parents' basement, of me doing this, okay? And it's super cute, but I don't have that, so I got to pick on my own kids this morning, okay? Now, Lily, who's our youngest, she is the, the, the most imaginative kid, and she has this tutu that has a cattail coming out of it. I don't know if it came, it didn't come like that. But when she puts on this tutu, immediately it's meow, and she's a cat, and it's remarkable. And she puts on these cat ears that she has, and it's just this whole transformation that happens. What's interesting is when she gets in trouble at home, she automatically goes to cat mode. Because you can't be mad at a cat, right? You have to be mad at a person. And so what's fascinating is she goes right instantly to cat mode and gets out of whatever trouble she's in, because she's super cute, okay? Ezekiel dresses up like everything under the sun. I'm not going to pick on him because he has so many examples, but he literally becomes somebody else. What I'm asking us to do is to be like little children and to embrace this idea that when I take off Scott and put on Jesus, it's going to feel weird. Sometimes putting on Jesus makes me feel really shamed of how I've been acting when I'm Scott. Sometimes when I put on Jesus, it makes me feel really good about myself. Like he loves me no matter what I've done in the past. Sometimes when I put on Jesus, I feel a challenge to go connect with somebody who I maybe have just met or maybe I've met my entire life. Sometimes when I put on Jesus, any number of emotional and visceral responses occur. But the more I put on Jesus and the less I put on myself, the more I know that I'm living a life of discipleship. And I show that to every single person I come into contact with. Friends, there are a million books about church self-help books, about how to do discipleship, all these different strategies that are great and wonderful. And I'm not saying that any of the amazing authors are wrong, but friends, if you just put on Christ in a daily manner, you'll find that you transform people's lives in eternal ways. That's why the mission statement and the vision statement has to be ambiguous. Because friends, we're not just transforming numbers or offering or people in seats. We're transforming people's eternities. They're going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Or they're going to spend eternity without him. I want to transform people not just for a moment, not just in a transaction. I want to transform them for eternity. The more you put on Jesus, the more 
elaborate the costume becomes, but the more comfortable it becomes. I want to point out this picture. This is James. I didn't ask James' permission, so just be nice to him, okay? You can't even tell it's James, right? This is Fireman James when he was four or five years old. James, I'm going to buy you whatever lunch you want from Let me put this up, okay? I'll bribe you for this. But James had initially just a fireman hat, and then over the course of several weeks, it was not good enough, right? And then we bought him the fireman coat. You can see the pants and the boots and then the, the winter gloves, even though I'm pretty sure it's summer in this picture. My amazing wife found this, this uh, old jug of Diet Coke and made it into the oxygen tank on the front, and we found a cup, like a disposable cup for the mask and put some elastic on the back. I mean, you can't even tell it's James. I can just say it's Evelyn, and then I get out of this altogether, okay? But this idea of becoming a more elaborate version and a more imaginative version of someone you're not is what being a Christian is all about. It's not make-believe. It's so real that you will literally become Jesus Christ the more you get practice in doing this. Element 3 Church, I have a question for you based on this picture here upon the entire sermon. Who and where are you doing our mission? Some of you are going to say the easy answer. I'm doing it with my kids. Friends, if you're doing it with your kids, that's far more impactful. No offense to any sort of mission or, 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 or any sort of programming we do. Discipling your kids is more effective than any youth ministry in the world. It's different because they still need the youth ministry. Where are you doing our mission? Is it at work? Is it in your family? Is it with neighbors down the street? I've had almost every single person saying, we want this church to grow, and the only way it's going to grow is not based on my charisma or my speaking ability, but it's upon you going out and reaching out to people who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Who and where are you discipling? What I want to commit to you is I want to be your greatest cheerleader and greatest resource. And so when you can find those relationships, email them to me or Facebook message or what's the thing you all use here? Slack, Slack. I know, I'm just asking a rhetorical question. Slack them to me. Whatever it is, find those relationships and share me those victories in which God is working in your lives. That this week I put on Jesus and I impacted my boss so much that he's gonna come with me to church. Or this week I put on Jesus and the person who cut me off in traffic doing that U-turn, they came out and they started screaming at me and I was so calm and patient. They said, hey, how come you're not mad at me? I want to know more about who you are. This week I put on Jesus and that same neighbor who walks their dog every single night and their dog does a thing in my front yard that I always have to clean up in the morning. I finally reached out to them in the first time ever and I got to know their name. Got to know about who they are. We are asking for you to do this mission. And when we do this mission, we are unstoppable. So with that in mind, understanding that is strategically ambiguous, we're gonna go into the weeks forthcoming into the idea of worship. Come tonight to the night of worship and then next week we'll talk more about what worship is. We'll talk about what community and groups are. And lastly, we'll talk about serving. 
and what really serving our neighbors, serving our community looks like and can be in pursuing our overall mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. With that in mind, I want to close our service in a unique way. I invite you all to stand. And we're all going to read this vision statement aloud because I think it's so well done and so impactful that it can be a sending off a reminder, a coming from your lips saying, I'm all in on this, and I want to be a part of it. Those watching at home, I want you to say it out loud towards your computers, and I can hear you, I promise. So do this as we do this together. Ready? We will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples dwelling at the intersection of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture. Thank you so much. Be blessed and go do this in your daily lives. You are dismissed.